You're listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSM, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our student pastor, Gabe Pecorora. So tonight, we're going to be reading or looking at a short passage of scripture. And as I was trying to think through, you know, we're in this weird like middle space where we finished up the More Than a Song series on worship and we did the senior panel last week. How many of y'all enjoyed the senior panel last week? It was awesome, wasn't it? It was so cool. So we had that last week and then we've got a worship night next week, but we've got beach camp next week. We're trying to figure out all the things. Was in this weird middle space of what should we talk about this week? And the more that I prayed and tried to get ready for tonight, this topic um, of, of the fear of the Lord and of reverence just kept coming to my mind, which kind of builds off of, of the last series we were in, more than a song on worship. And for those of you guys who are like, what in the world is the fear of the Lord? What in the world is reverence? We're gonna talk about those things. But first, I wanna read you this passage. And we're gonna be in the book of Isaiah tonight. The chapter is chapter six, and we're gonna be in verses one through three. And I'm gonna warn you guys, this is a pretty crazy passage. It also is pretty weird. There's some words in there that are kind of confusing. We're gonna talk about all those things, but I want you guys to read this with me, and this is what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So obviously, there is a lot of weirdness in this passage. Seraphim, wings, trains of people's robes. Who are we talking about? King Uzziah, all these things. We're gonna break that down. The first point for tonight is he is holy. We see this Isaiah 6, 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And who is calling to one another? Who is saying this holy, holy, holy? And so these creatures, these angels that are saying this are called seraphim. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of that before, seraphim. A few of you guys, a lot of you guys have not. Let's talk about it a little bit. So these are angels, and we see in this vision they are in the temple court worshiping God. When the person at the beginning says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, that's Isaiah. And he sees the Lord in this temple court. And these seraphim are worshiping him, right? And the name seraphim, it means burning ones. We see that there's a lot of other instances in scripture where to describe these burning ones, these angels, the word cherubim is used. We see this in Ezekiel, we see this in Isaiah, um, we see this in the Psalms. And basically what we need to recognize for us tonight is that these seraphim are angels and they are worshiping God. And these angels have six wings, right? With two of the wings, they're covering their head because even as angels, they are not holy enough to be able to show God their face, to be able to look at God. And even though they're angels, they cover their feet because back then your feet were seen as a humble part of you 
And we don't want God to see just a humble part of ourselves. And with the other two wings, they were flying around the courts, worshiping God, okay? So these angels are in awe in the presence of God and they're covering themselves. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what is holiness? I'm gonna ask a couple of you guys what holiness is, okay? So raise your hand if you think you have maybe a definition for holy. Anybody? Back here in the back? Yeah, is that Rachel? Set apart, yeah, that's awesome. Who else? Tristan? They know what's happening, okay, yeah. I'm gonna come over here, let me pick on this side. Anybody? Uh, yes, right here. Pure, that's great, yeah. Set apart, pure, knows what's happening. That's what holiness is. Holiness is this absolute moral purity. Raise your hand if you know some people with good morals. A lot of y'all. Raise your hand if you know some people with bad morals. A lot more of y'all. All right, all right. So holiness is this absolute moral purity. What it also is, holiness is the distance that separates us from God. You see, because God is good, God is actually the definition of good. Goodness has a beginning and end, it's found in Jesus, and Jesus doesn't have a beginning and an end, which is kinda confusing, right? It's kinda weird. But this holiness is who God is. It's an innate part of him. And us as people, we're created in God's image, right? We see that in scripture. But what do we do as people? If God is holy, God is perfect, are we perfect? Are we perfect? Absolutely not, right? Are we holy? No, right? And because God is holy, and because we are not holy, the holiness of God is also the thing that separates us from God. Because he's holy and we're not. And if God is holy, that also means that God is just. And if we are unholy, something has to happen. There has to be some sort of judgment, right? And we're gonna talk about Jesus in a minute. We're gonna talk about what he did for us. Um, but again, we need to recognize that holiness is this central marker of the fundamental divide between God and us, sinful people. Most especially when we're in our fallen condition, meaning we're sinning. But also, we need to remember that we are redeemed through Jesus, who is holy. So what, I'm gonna give you guys an illustration should come up on the screen that'll help us to recognize this, okay? So I think a lot of times we'll live life and we may not admit this, but oftentimes we put ourselves you like my stick figure? Yeah. So oftentimes we put ourselves and we put God on an equal playing field, right? We see in this, this passage with Isaiah, we see that these people are worshiping God. The train of his robe, and we'll talk about what that means in a second, fills the temple. And we see that a little bit later in a couple of verses, we see that as soon as Isaiah recognizes 
what all is happening, he realizes that he is not good. He says, woe, I am a man of unclean lips. So we are not holy like God. And even though we are not holy, oftentimes we live our life on this, feeling like we're on the same playing field as God. We make decisions and we say, well, I don't need to consult God. I got it all together. I got this, don't worry about it. We do things on our own. We don't trust other godly counsel. We are lying, we're stealing. We are looking at things that we shouldn't look at online. We are making decisions as the Lord of our own life. And you may not say that. You may not go up to a friend and say, yeah, me and God are on equal playing field, but you live that way. And what you need to see is that when you live your life living like an equal to God, there is no room. Uh-oh, the pen's dead. Oh, boy. Oh, maybe I said it on a racer. my bad. There's no room for the cross. No room for what Jesus did in your life. No room to be grateful. No room to recognize that you are a sinner and you need a savior. But when we live our life and like Isaiah did, have a high view of God and what he is and what he's done for us, we remember that the only thing that makes us pure, the only thing that makes us right is the cross, is what Jesus did. And so as we remember how holy God is, and we remember that it's God's holiness that makes this divide between us and him, we have to remember what Jesus did with the cross. And if our view of God shrinks and our view of ourself gets bigger, the cross gets smaller. And so what needs to happen in our life is we need to constantly go to God recognizing that he is mighty and he is powerful and he is holy and without him, we are nothing. And what does that do? It makes us go back to the cross. It magnifies what Jesus has done for us, okay? So in your life, if you don't recognize that God is mighty, that God is strong, that God is creator, that he's king, you're not doing something right, okay? So the first point is that he is holy. He is set apart like what you guys answered. The second point is this, is that he is in charge. So verse one of this little passage says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So let's talk about King Uzziah. King Uzziah had been the king of Israel, God's chosen people, for 52 years. And he became king when he was about 16 years old, okay? 
Overall, he was a pretty good guy. He was a pretty good king. We see a, a couple of different scriptures in 2 Chronicles where it talks about how he was a good king. He tried to lead the people in the ways of the Lord. We also saw that he was a conquering king and that his fame spread all the way to Egypt. So his fame was outgrowing the country of Israel going into other countries, okay? They saw him as a good, a strong king. But what else do we know about King Uzziah? We know that King Uzziah died a tragic death. But what did he do? We see in 2 Chronicles that King Uzziah got prideful and he went into the temple and he sacrificed when he was not supposed to. And his punishment for that as a leader of God's people, God gave him leprosy struck him with leprosy. And in that time, leprosy was not curable. You had to be separated from the people. And King Uzziah died a death, isolated as a leper. And so Isaiah, I'd imagine at this time, is probably going through a lot of emotions. He's probably like, well, King Uzziah was a good king. He had reigned for so long. He led the people in the ways of the Lord. Obviously, God's favor and God's blessing was on us because we were growing and expanding and the Egyptians feared us and all this stuff, right? And then King Uzziah dies. And for my history nerds out there, when a king dies or when a ruler of a country dies, a country's pretty susceptible to attack, right? Because it's like, oh, there's not good leadership. So we can go and attack them and we can go and raid them and they're not gonna know who to look up to is who's in charge. So I'm sure Isaiah is going through all these emotions of King Uzziah was a good king, but he died this tragic death. He got prideful. But also we as the people of Israel are exposed to attack now. Are we gonna be raided? Are we gonna be killed? Are we, what's gonna happen? All the things. And as, king Uzziah, or as Isaiah is wondering all these things, he has this vision. And what I love about this is Isaiah was probably asking, where's God in all this? And if you look at verse one again, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So where was God in the midst of all this? Seated on the throne as ruler. If you are just having a casual you know, meal with your family or chilling with some friends, eating on the couch. It doesn't matter where you sit, right? If you're just chilling on the couch, if this person sits here, this person sits there, you got the TV on, it's cool, right? Anybody can sit anywhere. There's no certain status given to the couches, right? Your dad may have a certain recliner that he has to sit in, but everybody else is free to sit wherever they want, right? Thanksgiving dinner for some of you guys Oftentimes, your family gets together. Who sits at the head of the table? Dad? Who, sit, who, who has a grandpa that sits at the head of the table? Right? What would, what would happen if you just sat and plopped down in dad's seat where he's about to carve the turkey? That's a bad day, right? What about if you decided, hey, grandpa, you know what? I know that you're the head of this family, but I need you to sit down there and I'm gonna sit right here. That's a bad day, right? You see, because the placement matters. Where you're seated matters. 
And greater than any Thanksgiving dinner is the fact that God is seated on the throne. You see, there is no other position or status higher than God. And so as Isaiah is wondering what is going on in this time, he is reminded that greater than the death of any king, greater than any fear of a nation attacking, is the fact that God is seated on the throne. He is in charge. And we have to remember that as people. And then what about this whole train of his robe thing? What does that even mean? Well, I'm glad that you asked. So have you guys, um, I can't remember who the last English royalty person was to get married, but have y'all ever seen one of them weddings on TV? Y'all ever seen one? How many of you guys who have seen it think it is so unbelievably extra, it's not even funny? Thank you, I'm glad. Honestly, I think most weddings are unbelievably extra. Anyways, anyways, y'all know when the bride is walking down the aisle and like literally her dress extends to like yesteryear and she's like walking down and then there's like 14,000 like dress girls who are like holding it up, like shimmying it down and then they gotta like pull it all up, right? That is the train of a dress, right? The train thing is that long, elaborate piece. Well, what do we know about that? One, we know to get a dress like that is pretty doggone expensive, right? Your royalty. Two, we know that back in the day, kings would wear this train. And let's think about it. Would you rather play a good old-fashioned game? Hmm, I'm thinking of some, of what? Would you rather play a good old-fashioned game of kick the can and some shorts and a t-shirt or a 95-pound dress with a big old train on it? Shorts and a t-shirt, right? You're not mobile in a dress with a train, right? You're not mobile in a robe with a train. What did that mean? Well, kings back in the day, the longer their train was, it meant that I have enough power, I have enough might to order people around to do stuff for me. I don't have to move because other people are gonna do it for me. And what do we see about God? We see that God owns everything, so the train of his robe literally fills the temple. When we talk about filling the temple, y'all, that would be like the train of his robe filling this whole sanctuary. Do you understand what I'm saying? The back of his robe fills the whole thing up. You're not gonna be able to move around in that thing, are you? Well, that's light work for the being who spoke and everything came into existence. So recognize that he is in charge. Regardless of how you live your life, Regardless of whether you dishonor God in your decisions or not, he's still in charge. Regardless of the direction that this country heads in, he is still in charge. Regardless of the direction of anything, he is still in charge. And so this passage says a lot. I know it's kind of weird, it's kind of funky. We're talking about seraphim and, and the trains of people's robes and King Uzziah. Who named somebody Uzziah? I think that's a sick name, honestly. Um, but like, I know it's a bunch of weird stuff, but recognize there's so much meaning in it that our God is in charge, that he 
is where the buck stops. And the last point that I wanna say is who sits on the throne of your life? Because whether you believe it or not, you are either choosing to acknowledge the king in your decisions or you are choosing to be the king in your decisions. You are either choosing to consult the creator of all things, the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, are you choosing to say, no, I know you know it all, but I know it better? Do you know how stupid that is? It's unbelievably stupid and reckless. And I'm not saying that to come down on you guys because I do it so much myself. And I think it's easy to call on God for save me, save me. You're my magic butler. I need you to get out of this test. I need you to do this thing. I need you to work this miracle and forget that he is also king. You are fooling yourself if you call on God to work a miracle, but you don't submit to him in obeying what he says. And that's our problem because we want to serve a God that is help me, help me, help me, Jesus. Jesus, take the wheel, and we forget that he is Lord. And so as I was thinking through and praying through what to talk to you guys about, that's what it came back to, is this fear of God. And what is this fear of God? This fear of God is, is crazy because it does two things. There's this dichotomy, there's this like two sides of it. See, the fear of the Lord recognizes that God, he could smite you at any moment. It'd be really, really easy for him to just, and he did this one time. There were some people who were acting a fool. He literally opened up the ground, the ground swallowed them up. They were never seen again. You guys, if you think the Bible is boring, you haven't read it, I'm sorry. That is a legitimate story. So the fear of the Lord is recognizing that those things are possible. If this God spoke the earth into existence, I promise he can get you right off of it. But the fear of the Lord is also recognizing that he is holy, he is creator, and he died for me. Because a lot of times when we think of fearing something, we think of something that we wanna run away from but a healthy fear of the Lord actually makes us want to run to him. Because not only is God just, not only is God a judge, God is also merciful and God is gracious and without him we are nothing. And so the fear of the Lord should both make us recognize that he is mighty and powerful, but it should also make us want to run to him because we know that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We know that as Jesus left, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And who's the Holy Spirit? We see he's our paraclete, our advocate. And so what I wanna challenge you guys with is a few questions. And I want you guys to think about these. We're gonna be doing a new song tonight at the end. Um, this is a song we're gonna do at Beach Camp and it's a song hopefully that we can use to focus our hearts and recognize that in our lives, we want Jesus in our decisions. We want his will, we want his way in our life. 
We wanna get all the other stuff out of the way. And as we're singing this song, I want you guys to think through some of these questions and I want you guys just to worship, knowing that God is mighty and God is powerful, but God is also gracious and merciful and loves it. So, some questions. Who's on the throne of my life? Who is on the throne of my life? The second question is, do my actions look like I see God is on the throne or just some butler who gets you out of trouble? The third question, when was the last time I just sat in awe of God? When was the last time I thought about all that God did and I was just taken back, took my breath away? When's the last time I was so taken back by who God is that I wept in worship? When is the last time that I just thought about God's grace through Jesus? When's the last time I thought about the cross? I'm gonna read those questions one more time. Who's on the throne of my life? Do my actions look like I see God is on the throne or just some butler who gets you out of trouble? When's the last time I just sat in awe of God? When's the last time that I was so taken back by who God is that I wept in worship? And when is the last time that I just thought about God's grace through Jesus? I want you guys to think about those and we're gonna sing this song. Um, feel free to, to stay seated, to pray, to reflect, um, but just worship and be obedient to what the Lord puts on y'all's hearts. Thank you for listening to the Renovation Student Ministries podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.